The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. morning church that's a great good morning thank you I appreciate that uh, if you are new around here I'm really thankful that you're with us uh, my name is Brian I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor teaching pastor most of the time here and uh, thankful that you would choose to be here on a Sunday morning you could have slept in but you didn't you came to church and praise God for that so um, if you're if you are new around here I just want to say we're pretty simple as a church. Uh, we're a big dysfunctional family, and which means you belong. So uh, I hope that you'll feel that belonging, that you will feel welcomed and at home here. Uh, and as you are worshiping with us over the course of weeks, if you desire uh, to get uh, connected into the life of this church, there are several ways to do that I'll mention at the end. But for now, I hope you just make yourself at home and, uh, and, and feel the presence of God in this room uh, as we worship and read the scriptures together. Uh, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and open up to um, Philippians chapter two. Now, I'm also gonna be in Genesis two, so you can put a finger there if you want to, but Philippians two will be our primary text for the morning. Uh, if you're gonna use one of our pew Bibles, that is page 921. And uh, we are wrapping up this series tomorrow. Next week will be our last Sunday in this Shifting Sands series. Uh, what we've been doing is trying to examine the current cultural moment that we find ourselves in and what it looks like for us as Christians, as the people of God, to represent Jesus and the kingdom of God in this world, in this cultural moment. And so um, we got this week and next week left, and then we're on to Advent. That's crazy, right? Uh, and then the new year. And um, I can't believe how quickly 2023 has gone, but I'm very excited uh, about what we believe the Lord has for us uh, in 2024. And I um, uh, look forward to you know, making announcements about some of that stuff in the coming weeks. Uh, the issue, we've been trying to just tackle issues uh, uh, week by week here. And the issue we're gonna look at today isn't really as much of a hot button issue as some of the things that we've covered in this series, but I think it's equally as important. And that is the issue of loneliness, isolation, um, particularly post-COVID, I think many of us, even Christians, struggle with this sense of isolation from other people and loneliness. In fact, uh, the Surgeon General, his name is Vivek uh, Murthy, uh, just about in the spring, I think it was, he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times, and he said that we are currently experiencing in the United States an epidemic of loneliness. And that loneliness is as detrimental to our human bodies as smoking is. Think about that. He said in older adults, there is significant uh, increased risk of things like dementia, heart disease, stroke. Uh, for all adults, there are um, increases in things like depression and anxiety uh, and even suicide, uh, suicidal thoughts uh, and even following through with suicide. So this is a big deal for us. There is a significant correlation between human connection uh, and our physical and mental health. And so uh, what I wanna do this morning is, like I said, Philippians 2 is our primary text. Um, 
we're gonna, we're gonna read it and then I'm gonna go back to Genesis to help us understand how we got to where we are. We've been doing that a lot in this series and then we'll go back to Philippians to understand how we navigate this. Now, Vivek Murthy, who I mentioned a minute ago, he said this, he said, right now, millions of people are struggling in the shadows with loneliness and isolation. And he says, that's not right. Like he makes a moral statement about it. And I would agree with him. So the question we wanna tackle is what is a Christian's response to a culture that is profoundly lonely? That's what I wanna look at this morning. So join me in Philippians 2. I'm gonna read uh, the first 11 verses, although we're primarily just gonna be in the first couple of verses uh, as we unpack this, but we'll, let me read them. I'll pray for us. And then I'll go back to Genesis to sort of paint the picture. Does that make sense? I know it's a little weird the way I'm doing it, but I'm weird. So what do you want from me? <clears throat> Philippians chapter two, we'll start in verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men uh, sorry, yes, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning uh, with a wide variety of emotions that we bring with us through the door. Some of us are excited and joyful. Some of us are weary and exhausted. Uh, some of us are experiencing this profound loneliness that we speak of. Um, some of us are angry, frustrated. Some of us feel weight, the weight of guilt and shame. And, and Lord, you are so good to us that you meet us at whatever, with whatever we carry in here. And my prayer this morning by the power of your spirit and through the authority of your word is that you would lift our burdens as we give them to you. That you would in some tangible way help us experience your presence with us. And that as we look at, at a familiar passage of scripture, that you would bring new clarity to our ears, our eyes, our hearts. That you would transform us and make us a people um, of belonging in this crazy world of isolation and separation. We need you. I need you. So Holy Spirit, right now, I, I pray that you would fill me and empower me that I might rightly divide these scripture passages, that it might be of benefit to these people that you would do what only you can do in our souls this morning. And that this church, 
And the rest of the churches who proclaim the name of Jesus in our city would be um, cities on a hill shining brightly the, the glory and the beauty of Jesus in an ever darkening world. We love you. We thank you for this time of study and we pray your blessing over it in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. So I'm going to go back to Genesis here. I just want to help paint a little bit of a picture. I referenced this last week if you were with us, but I actually want to point it out to you and show it to you. Um, The first, if you're a note taker, I'll just give you the first point that you can write down. And that is um, our culture of isolation. So really simple, our culture of isolation. Uh, Genesis 2, we'll look at verse 15 if you want to turn there. I think it might be on the screen too. I'm not sure. Um, so God is creating, he's in his rhythm of creating and as he creates, he calls his creation good. We remember this, right, from Genesis chapter one. Well, we get to chapter two and it says this, verse 15, the Lord God took the man, so he'd created mankind, a human being, and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So there's a warning, you have every fruit that you can eat, but not this one tree. Now look at verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is what? Not good. It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. And we can stop there just for a moment. So so God, think about it. God is creating everything. He calls his creation good. Before sin enters the world, he sees man alone in the garden. He says, that's not good. It's this is, I mentioned this last week, uh, one theologian calls it a, a theological weirdness, right, in the Bible, because here you have um, perfection of creation. Sin has not yet entered the world, which means that man's desire for companionship, man's desire for human connection is not a product of sin or the fall. It's actually a good desire that God has placed in man. Even, that, even though man walked with God in the cool of the garden, he needed another human being. Some would say that that every other sort of ache of the human heart is in some sense a product of our fallen nature, but not this one. The need for other people, the need for human relationship uh, springs from the fact that we are created in the Imago Dei. We are created in God's image and God himself is eternal community. Father, Son, and Spirit, worshiping, enjoying, uh, taking pleasure in one another as our triune God. And God creates humankind in his own image. So we reflect who God is and we represent God on this earth. And so that need for human companionship, that need for another human is actually given to us by God and it's a good thing. Does it make sense? And then we get to Genesis chapter three. <laughs> and as we know in Genesis chapter three, our great enemy, Satan, he tempts our first parents to believe the lie that they can be independent from God, that they can have relationship with, with one another. But he says, you will be like God if you eat of the fruit. God doesn't want you to know this, but if you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. And so they believe this lie of independence. We can break relationship with God and we can actually be like him on our own. And so they do. And when sin enters the world, we see that friendship with God is severed, but also relationship with one another is severed because the man and the woman cover themselves and they hide. They hide from God, but they hide from one another. And very quickly in Genesis 3, we see that things like self-focus and fear and shame start to enter into the picture. And that to this day makes every human relationship awkward and hard. Amen? 
We are insecure people. We are, we are born not understanding our true identity, grasping for other things to define us in this world. And we are at once uh, longing for intimacy with other human beings, but at the same time, we are deathly afraid of being vulnerable. Because the lie that we believe is if I'm vulnerable and if I'm truly open with other people, they'll know who I really am and they won't want me. They'll reject me. So we put up fences and defenses and we pretend and we perform and we cover and we hide and we have this longing to be known, but we are terrified of being vulnerable and it makes it really hard to know people, to trust people, to love people. We know this, it's dangerous to live with a vulnerable heart, isn't it? Because it can be abused and used and not reciprocated. It's dangerous to live with a vulnerable heart, but it's actually the only way to live with a full heart. Now, put a pin in that. Our American culture was born on this myth of the rugged individualist. And I say it's a myth because it's not like one dude with a horse and an ax built like a town in the West, right? Even if you, you know, sort of buy into the covered wagon uh, motif, which, which did happen, it was still families and, and groups of families who went together. So there was a community, but we sort of buy into this idea of the rugged individualist. So we, as Americans, we value our rights and our freedoms and our self-sufficiency. And I praise God for our country. Uh, veterans, thank you for your service as we celebrated Veterans Day yesterday. We, we love this country. We're so thankful for the freedoms and the rights that we enjoy, but we tend to, as Americans, idolize our rights and our freedoms and our self-sufficiency, don't we? One author I read this week called Independence, Our National Religion. Ooh. Okay, add on top of that, the modern world in which we live, things like transportation, you know, uh, in, in just a hundred years or so, we've gone from uh, the Model T to everyone having, a, you know, a smart car. Okay, and you can go wherever you want, whenever you want. Technology has increased. We now have longer work days and longer commutes and most Americans change jobs more frequently than they ever have before, and which means we relocate more frequently than we ever have before. And when we relocate, we often relocate to places that are further away from our family than ever before. All this plays into it. Okay, add on top of that. Uh, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago in our series. The modern understanding, the current understanding of identity is that to live authentically means that you justify yourself, your own existence. You express your own identity. You interpret meaning for yourself. You judge according to your own moral compass and you belong wherever and whenever and to whatever degree you choose. So we've seen in our country, the decline of civic institutions. Uh, scouts is declining at a rapid rate. Youth sports are declining at a rapid rate. Even churches see declines in attendance. In America, the average church attendance, to be considered a regular attender in a church means that you attend three out of every eight Sundays. Which I know some of you are like, well, I think I'm doing pretty good. Okay, I said that's the American average. That's not my standard, brothers and sisters. Less than half the time. That's a regular in our culture today, okay? Okay, add on top of that, the internet, which has provided amazing opportunities for 
connection, right? You can take courses, you can connect to people all the way around the world and actually talk to them in uh, basically real time, right? Zoom calls and FaceTime and all the rest. Um, Remote work, you know, obviously during COVID that was a a gift because school could continue and work can continue remotely. Um, But the average American now spends more than seven hours per day in front of a screen. Three of those on their phone. That's no replacement for physical interaction, is it? Okay, um, this, is, this is anecdotal, but I think it's important. Uh, in the last 50 years or so, the average home size has more than doubled, while the average family has shrunk. We used to have huge front porches. If you look at the design of homes, now we have big back porches and fences, okay? And media rooms. <laughs> So we can be by ourselves and watch our shows on our, on our time and not have to interact with our neighbors. You know this, if somebody knocks on your door, you're getting your, your gun or you're like looking at your security camera to know who it is because we don't expect people to come visit us anymore. So we have fence yards and TV rooms and all the rest. Our modern lifestyle has in so many ways, by the way, uh, in, the, in the most recent census, more than 25% of American households are made up of one individual living by themselves, which is the highest number ever on record. So our modern lifestyle has isolated us, and guess what? Now we're actually starting to feel lonely. <laughs> I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but this idea of zoocosis, right? When you see an animal in the zoo pacing back and forth, it's because they're not made for the environment that they live in and they're going literally crazy. And the same thing is happening to Americans. That we, we feel this sense of anxiety and depression and a disconnection from the rest of the world. And it's a product of the, of the culture that we've built. In a most recent survey, more than half of, you, of uh, American adults exhibited symptoms of anxiety and depressive disorders. And loneliness is a leading factor in those mental health issues. Most Americans upon that will either self-medicate through food or television or internet, pornography, uh, uh, marijuana or alcohol, or some combination thereof, or we go on prescription medication, and I'm not knocking prescription medication, there's common grace uh, for that, or we go to therapy. And again, I praise God for therapy, praise God for counseling. And for those of you who are involved in that industry, I'm thankful that God has wired and gifted you to move into that industry and to be able to help people with their problems. But I found this very curious. Dan Allender is a Christian uh, psychologist and therapist, and he's written a bunch of books Um, He leads a a center for counseling in the Northwest. And listen to what he said about counseling. I found this fascinating. Now remember, he is a counselor. He is a therapist. This is what he says. I see counseling as a concession, not immoral, but tragic. For counseling often provides the kind of community where change can occur, Whereas such community was meant to be provided in the context of normal and daily intimate and prophetic conversation that is mutual, equal, and free. So could it be that that so many of us who are feeling lonely and depressed and anxious and are seeking counseling just need some friends? Just need some people to talk to. 
Okay, so that's kind of how we got here, right? That's sort of a, a, a very brief overview of our current situation. And I think you, you would agree it probably there's pieces of that re resonate with you. Now, what are we supposed to do about this as Christians and as the church? Flip over to Philippians, if you're not already there, Philippians chapter two. You guys with me so far? Okay. I want you to see our countercultural community. Now listen, what I'm going to teach on is ideal. What you're going to do is compare your current experience with the ideal and you're gonna find a mismatch and that's natural. But don't judge what you're finding based on the ideal. Does that make sense? Okay, we gotta paint the picture of the ideal so we know what we're striving for, but all of us will admit we ain't there yet. We're striving for it, but we ain't there yet, okay? Now, let's, let's look again at Philippians chapter two, just the first couple verses here. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then he goes on to say, don't do anything from selfish ambition, but count others as more significant than yourselves. Okay, here's the reality. When you and I feel hungry, what do we need? Food. When we feel lonely, what do we need? People. The pain point is an indicator of what our actual need is, okay? The problem is we're just bad at it. Just like with food, we eat garbage, right? Junk food and fast food and all the rest when we're hungry. Most of us, I do. Uh, when we feel lonely, we, we, we are bad at finding community. And so here's what I would say to us as the church. This is our moment. Like if there has ever been a time for Christians to be a counter to the culture, it is right now when over half of Americans are feeling lonely and isolated and, and anxious and depressed because they don't have friends. This is one of the reasons I believe that the book of Philippians is in the Bible because these verses describe a counter-cultural community where Jesus reigns and people thrive. He says here that it's an environment of deep encouragement and comfort and love and understanding that is fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. If our culture out there is going to change, they have got to see in us the power of the gospel at work in order to believe. And you know what? They don't owe us attention. We must demonstrate something that is worthy of their attention. Now I've asked this before, but I'm gonna ask it again. In general, how much encouragement do you get out there? Not a lot, most of us, right? We get more discouragement than encouragement. But here's the beauty of our Lord. Jesus does not change us by coercion or threats or consequences or guilt or shame, does he? Jesus changes us, he encourages us toward change and transformation. One author said that, that encouragement is the fundamental Christian experience. 
It's like the essence of being a Christian is that you feel encouraged by the Lord. And here's what it looks like. As you walk with Jesus, you start to realize uh, things like this. You mean to tell me that the God that, that I have ignored my entire life, the God that I, I dismiss, the God that I just can't quite bring myself to believe that, that what he says is actually true for my life, the God I continue to rebel against and fail and fumble and, and even run from at times, that God loves me? He's pursuing me still. He wants me. He loves me. He wants to bring me into his fold. Like when, that, when those truths start to actually make sense to your heart, you, you can relax. <laughs> That's why um, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 8. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's powerful. And if the, if the scripture is true, and I believe that it is, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, that means there must only be the opposite of condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well, what is the opposite of condemnation? Advocacy, consolation, and encouragement. That's, what is, ooh, that's what's available to us in Christ. Is anyone right now experiencing too much encouragement? I didn't think so. We need it. And guess what? They need it out there too. Especially today, especially in our culture. And the Bible reminds us that it is available to all of us right now. But notice how we get there. In Christ. In Christ. It doesn't come by our white knuckle determination. It doesn't come by strategic plans to be more encouraging to one another, right? When we treat community as our savior, we actually destroy community because we all have limited capacity and, and we run out of encouragement and then we get angry with one another. I'm gonna set you free right now. We don't even have to be good at it. In fact, I believe Jesus chose folks he knew wouldn't be good at it. He chose you, didn't he? And he chose me. Okay, here's what we do. Here's how we get there. We simply show up and we say yes to Jesus, who is our source of endless encouragement. And over time, because Jesus rules here, lonely angry people come in and adjust their lives to Jesus to the degree that we start to unite as a new community that begins to feel like comfort and encouragement and love and all the rest. Who wouldn't thrive in a community of encouragement and love and comfort and understanding I, that's for everybody, right? Like we would all thrive in that kind of world. And, and, and Jesus is calling us to become that kind of people so that the rest of the world can come in and experience something of the encouragement and comfort and love of Jesus. And this is all over the Bible. I'll give you just a couple places. Um, 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter five, for example, Paul says this, therefore encourage one another and build one, one another up just as you are doing. So he's encouraging them to encourage one another. We ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you, to esteem them very highly in love because of the work. Then he says this, be at peace among yourselves and we urge you to admonish the idle, to encourage the faint hearted. Is there anyone this morning who would say, I feel faint hearted? to help the weak. Would there anyone who would admit to being weak this morning? To be patient with them all. Later on, uh, the author of Hebrews says that that we should uh, admonish and encourage one another every day because he knows we need it. So we are to be a people of encouragement, a counter-cultural community where we are encouraged uh, in the Lord and encouraged towards transformation and change. Does that make sense? Okay, but, but he's, he goes on. Uh, verses two and following of Philippians chapter two. Complete my joy by being, listen to this, of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. That this counter-cultural family where Jesus reigns and people thrive is so different that I believe it's non-ignorable. When word starts to get out about what's happening inside the church and and as we go out with the culture of the church on our lips and our hearts into the world, it's non-ignorable. People are like, what is this thing, right? I feel so good when I'm around you because you encourage me and I don't get that anywhere else. What, What is it? And you can say, it's because of Jesus. Where else do you go? Where else do you go and find this kind of gracious, humble, others focused love in action? Because here's the reality. Aside from the cultural climate, which I I spent just a few minutes trying to unpack for us to understand how we got here, um, that that cultural climate we live in tends to isolate us from one another. We also, because of the sin that dwells within us, we tend to create walls and barriers between one another. And I think actually as a product of the loneliness and isolation that we experience, and last week we talked a little bit about outrage culture and the echo chambers that we find ourselves in, we are actually more united now by who we're against than who we're for. In fact, actually one article, I was telling someone this week, one article I read this past week said that um, it used to be that you would find a friend by, by saying like, oh, what are your interests? What do you like? Oh, I like that too. And that's kind of how you find friends. And now it's like, who do you hate? Oh, I hate them too. And we become fast friends because of our rage. That is broken. (laughs) That is absolutely broken. This us versus them ism that pervades our current cultural moment uh, is so heightened and everyone's angry about everything and we're so sort of against each other and on edge. And guess what? For us as believers in Christ, Jesus comes in and he smashes all our dumb walls with the hammer of the gospel. So he says to us here, have the same mind, the same love. What he's doing is is he's heaping, you know, sort of terms upon terms here to make a point. He's saying the same thing here, and and it's this. Have the same love. And honestly, guys, how could it be otherwise? How could it be otherwise? God loves us all with the same love. He opened wide the gates of heaven and he invites everyone to come to him on the same terms, his grace, empty hands. In other words, 
because of Jesus, there, is no, there, there are no more outsiders because everyone is an outsider who has been brought in by Jesus. Uh, theologian D.A. Carson, he put it this way. He said, the church is a band of natural born enemies who love one another for Jesus sake. Like where else do you go? Where, there, look, in this room, we not only have demographic differences and socioeconomic differences, we have all kinds of other differences, but what binds us together, the one singular thing that binds us together is Jesus the Christ. And what a beautiful reality that is. That, that people who are so vastly different from one another can, can have a common bond in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think of our friends Matthew, the tax collector, and Simon the zealot when I think about this idea of natural born enemies coming together in Jesus. If you know the, the story from the Gospels, uh, Matthew was a Jew who collected taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans to continue to let the Romans oppress the Jews. So he was a traitor to his own people in so many ways. And then we have Simon the Zealot. And the nickname the Zealot indicates to us that Simon wanted to overthrow the Roman government. Okay, so in our political terminology, you've got like uh, extreme liberal wacko and extreme uh, red right-wing nut job. Okay? And in John 13, Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, this is how the world is gonna know that you're my disciples that you love one another. And you can just use your sanctified imagination to see him put his arm around Simon the Zealot and his other arm around Matthew the tax collector who in so many ways would hate each other in everything that they stood for. And he'd say, okay guys, here's how the world is gonna know that you two knuckleheads belong to me. That you put your political differences to the side and you actually love one another. And they said, Okay, that is world changing. That is city shaking. When people who have such vast differences can come together in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says to them, this is how the world's gonna know that you love one another. And then in John 13, he says, as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love us? He left the glories of heaven. He took on human flesh and blood. He became a perfect servant. We see this in the rest of Philippians 2 that we read, but I don't have time to unpack for us this morning. He lived with a perfectly open heart. You understand how isolating that would have been for Jesus? Not only did he be a perfect human and never sin, though he sympathizes with our weaknesses, is that he, was always, he had a perfectly open heart, which means he was always sharing his most vulnerable thoughts with his friends. He was always sharing his deepest passions with his friends. And they never understood him. They never got it. They always misunderstood or made assumptions that his friends are the ones who betrayed him and let him down over and over and over again. If anyone knows what it is to be isolated and lonely, it's Jesus. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And then Jesus goes to the cross, right? And when he's on the cross, he's crying out to God and there is no answer from heaven. 
And many scholars would tell you that worse than the physical pain, like we talk about excruciating pain, right? That word comes from crucifixion. That the, that the pain of the cross physically was so tormenting that we have a word called excruciating to try to describe it. But scholars would say that worse than the pain, worse than the excruciating pain of the cross was the isolation from his heavenly father. That, 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 that father and son were separated relationally and Jesus had to endure the torment of loneliness on the cross. And he did it for you and me so that we could have the promise that he would never leave us and never forsake us. And now you and I have been given the spirit of God. So if we have surrendered to the Lordship of Christ and received with empty hands of faith, his finished work and his life, death and resurrection, we are given the Holy Spirit of God who empowers us to become this new family where the cross actually redefines belonging. Now anyone can come in and belong because Jesus is the one who determines the ground rules here. I think I failed to give you my sermon point, which is our ultimate belonging, but that doesn't really matter at this point, does it? So, so when he says, I want you to love one another with the same love, be of the same mind, be of one accord and of the same mind, here's what he's saying. I want you to love those who are not like you in precisely the same way you love those who are just like you. Think about that for a minute. So, I'm gonna pick on some of you in the room, okay? You 20-somethings, are you loving the folks in our room and out there in this world who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s the same way that you love one another in your 20s? Parents, are you loving singles the same way that you love other parents? Republicans, do you love Democrats as much as you love other Republicans and vice versa, right? Thank you. Does anyone love libertarians? That's my, I'm just kidding, <laughs> kidding, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> When you and I love people that we would love anyway, if Jesus never existed, there's no power in that. It's only when the power of God in us fuels us to the point where we can love people who are radically different than us, that we become a living proof of what only God can do. So when we, when we love all with the same love, then more and more people can come in and experience him here with us. You realize there are people this morning waking up all over this region. Some of them are hungover. Some of them are, are waking up next to someone they don't remember the name of. Some of them are waking up thinking that today might be their last day because they don't have a friend left in this world. Some of them have no idea how they're going to pay their bills on Monday. Some of them are waking up realizing they don't have a job to go back to Monday. Some of them are waking up realizing that they have ruined their entire lives and they're wondering, some of them are wondering right now, 
if I went to this church, would I belong here? You know how many people, I, I, I promise you this is true. You know how many people drive by this building on Haywood Road and go, I wonder what kind of people go to that church and if I would fit in there. You know how many people probably pull into this parking lot and never go in because they just want to see who comes here and if they would fit. Jesus is calling us today, brothers and sisters, to love other people, one another and people outside this room with such a ferocity that no one has to ask the question, do I belong? So, so Jesus through Paul is saying here, complete my joy. Complete my joy, which means I want you to look through my eyes. We look through the eyes of Jesus. And when we start to look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, you know what we find? Family. Family. Brothers and sisters, all of our real wealth is in relationships. All of it, every bit of it. And the only thing we have to lose is our isolation. <laughs> So can we be a people who embrace the belonging that Jesus has, has given to us and extend that belonging to others? Listen, I know some of you right now are going, well, I don't, I, I've been coming here for six weeks and I don't feel like I belong. And I am sincerely apologetic for that. Okay, so I mean, I could right now, I could give us a whole practical list of like, hey, okay, look to your right, look to your left, see somebody you don't know, shake a hand, whatever. That doesn't build community necessarily. And here's the reality, we all know what to do because we know when we're not experiencing it. <laughs> I, you, you know you can own your row. You know you can jump into a group. You know, okay, the, the reality is, will I, as he says here in, in Philippians 2, will I humble myself enough to consider others more significant than myself and actually take a moment to look around, not only in this room, but out there in the world, through the eyes of Jesus? And as I as I reflect on what Christ has done for me to welcome me into his family, can I extend that sort of welcome and belonging to the rest of the world? I guarantee you it'll make a difference, okay? Because half the people you know, according to that study, if we extrapolate it, right? Half the people you know are suffering from anxiety and depression, largely as a re result of loneliness. And we can do something about it because God is building a community here of belonging, amen? That's a, that's a weak amen. God is building right here. God is building right here a community of belonging. Amen? amen? Then let's go do it. Let's live it out. Now, two questions, then we'll move into our time of response. First one is this. How does the good news of Jesus for me, for you individually, how does the good news of Jesus for me free me both to belong to him and to this community, and also to create belonging for others. How does the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection to take me, this crazy sinner, right, who, has, who fails God in so many ways, and yet Jesus pursues me with love and welcome and belonging and comfort and encouragement and all the rest. How does receiving that free me to belong to him and to one another and to create belonging for others? Second, and maybe more importantly, who has the Lord placed in my life that he wants me to see with his eyes?
Are there people on your row? Are there people in a different generation than you? Are there people um, in your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school, who by God's grace, you need to start seeing with his eyes and you can see their pain and their loneliness and you can see, right? And, and he might prompt you to just reach out to them with a hand of welcome for his glory and for their good. Okay, so here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna respond to the Lord. We do that in a few ways here at Steadfast Church. The first is going to be communion. And so uh, when you are, um, we're gonna have a moment of silence. And then uh, when I get up, that'll be the signal that the tables are open. But here's what we're doing in communion. Um, The Bible speaks of a feast that um, in the the book of Revelation, that God is, that Jesus is preparing a feast for us, right? We're gonna gonna dine with him. We're gonna have this sort of eternal feast with all the best meat and all the best wine and all the best, right? It's gonna be like the most epic. I had a great, great meal last night downtown and, and it pales in comparison to the meal we're gonna have with the Lord Jesus. And what is that? It's a symbol of belonging and welcome. And Jesus has gone out to the highways and the hedges and he's brought all of us knuckleheads in and he goes, hey, when you come to communion, you are remembering that because of my broken body, you are whole. Because of my blood spilled, you are cleansed from sin and unrighteousness. And this is a foretaste of that sacred meal that you will enjoy with him in eternity. This is a, 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 this is a promise of the meal to come. This is the Oh, forgive me, Lord, this is the hors d'oeuvre, right? This is like the little, the little taste of what is to come, okay? And so you, you, you can come to this table recognizing as lonely as I feel, I am not alone in Jesus. He has purchased me with his own blood and I belong to him and to one another. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, you can come uh, down. We'll start in the back rows and then come to the front, uh, taking a piece of the bread, dipping into the juice or the wine uh, as a, as a the symbol of what Jesus has done for us and, and a nourishment and encouragement to us. Uh, uh, the, the presence of God is with us right now in this room and he wants to bless you. So you can come down. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not for you. Um, this is for those who have given their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. Uh, so you make your way back to your seats. There are black boxes in the back for uh, giving if you're a regular member. If you need prayer, you can take a connect card in the seat, fill it out, pop it in the, the boxes there and we will pray for you. Uh, and then the band is gonna return and lead us in a few songs as we make our way out of here this morning. So let me pray. We'll have a moment of silence uh, and then we will move into our time of response. Father, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people in this room. And um, Lord, we need you. We need each other. Uh, We need community. We need belonging. We need to experience the welcome that only you can provide through your church. And Lord, we recognize there are so many, even among us right now, who are feeling isolated and lonely, and we grieve that. We are, we are broken people with limited capacities. And so um, though we strive for this ideal of being such a, a people of belonging, we know we fall short. So forgive us where we fall short. Forgive us where we do put ourselves ahead of one another and give us eyes to see people. Give us, eye, give us your eyes to see them, to see their need and to minister to them for your glory. Lord, I pray that our world, which is so lonely and so isolated, would, would see in us something of this otherworldly family and be drawn to it and find hope and meaning and purpose and belonging in Christ. So help us to be on mission with you that others might come in and experience the joy of Christ 
in this place. Now as we respond, Lord, help us. Um, may we come repentant. May we come f- filled with faith. Um, and may we come in joy as we partake in this meal as a foretaste of this eternal meal we will have with you. We ask your blessing in this time of response. In the name of Jesus, we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. Let's be still for a moment when I get up the table.